Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we are getting ready for playoff football with the Kansas City Chiefs as they are the two seed heading into the NFL playoffs. So let's not delay. We've got a lot to talk about, and let's introduce the guys. He's already booked his plane ticket to go see Boomer Grigsby's Hall of Fame induction to the College Football Hall of Fame. Sam Blackett is with us. What's going on, dude? Freaking Boomer, man. The greatest linebacker turned fullback fullback turned linebacker first ever defensive tight end that's what he was uh, he and was just, just because jacob hold on just because jacob jumped out in front of it last week i'll jump out in front of it this week yes i did get beat by a four and 11 team in fantasy got second it's awesome oh my god he was constantly in Tyron Matthews' DMs, celebrating the K-State win over LSU. Jacob Allen is with us. What's going on, man? Yeah, that's right, Tyron. That's right. Sam, I had no idea. After, like most fantasy football players, after you don't win in the playoffs, you just delete the app and wait until next season. I'm Sean Deegan, and I'm still fuming that we didn't get an NFL tie to decide who went to the playoffs. Real quick, guys, did they or did they not change their strategy because of a timeout sam go which game are we talking about <laughs> the raiders and the chargers did you not watch it i didn't watch it. oh my god so here's what had happened real quick synopsis if that game if any one of those either one of those teams won steelers are going to the playoffs if the game ends in a tie both the chargers and the raiders would go to the playoffs and steelers would be out and in overtime it was a tie football game with this with the Raiders with the football and literally just running out the clock. And with 30 plus seconds left in the game on third down, Brandon Staley calls timeout. Apparently, he said in his press comments afterward to get like the personnel right because he thought they were going to run. And then the Steelers like had a really big run that put them in field goal range for like a 47 yard field goal. And they felt compelled to kick it with one second left on the clock, and they kicked it. They won the football game. So the Raiders went to the playoffs. The Steelers did get in. But we were so close to having a tie decide who was going to go to the playoffs. All I can say, because I didn't watch the game, is as an AFC fellow AFC team, I am very disappointed that the Broncos and Raiders didn't just say, hey, let's have three AFC West teams in the playoffs and just – yeah, all they had like there was speculation the Chargers and the Raiders were just going to kneel down the entire time, and and just go to the playoffs that way. But we almost had it authentically. Jacob, do you think the timeout changed the strategy? As a Chiefs fan, I was glad it didn't end up that way. As an NFL fan, I was very sad. But all the Twitter evidence says that they changed their strategy. Their interim head coach even said it. It's like. You were this close, Brandon. Just don't call a timeout. Let him run out the clock. My rants aside, there was a lot going on this week in the NFL. Before we dive into the Chiefs, we're going to cover one of the tougher days that comes around every year in the NFL, and that is Black Monday. Uh, Monday after the regular season has finished, and this is typically when a lot of head coaches, general managers, uh, assist, you know, assistants will end up losing their jobs because of underperformance or just you know dis dysfunction within a franchise or not a great relationship with, uh, you know, upper management. And this uh, particular past Monday was no exception. We're recording this here on Tuesday, January 11th. So 
it, we've had a day to kind of digest this. It'll be Thursday when this podcast drops, so you might have had even more time. There is one name actually to add to this list I'll, I'll mention here in just a moment. There are now, I originally put on this rundown that we have six head coaching, new head coaching positions open if you include Urban Meyer and uh, John Gruden uh, and in that total of coaches who have been let go. Uh, it was announced today, uh, again, I'll hear on Tuesday, that uh, Joe Judge was let go from the uh, New York Giants. So another name to add to that list of people who ended up getting axed. And Joe Judge is probably the one that probably needed to go the most and was the one that took the longest. Uh, the other names to be included that were included in that list are Brian Flores from the Dolphins, one that a lot of people were surprised about, Matt Nagy with the Bears, Mike Zimmer with the Vikings, Vic Fangio with the Broncos, and then, as I said before, uh, Urban Meyer and John Gruden both uh, let go from their teams. Uh, John Gruden technically a resignation, but a forced one. So, all that being said, there's always there's, there's potential for a lot of movement, a lot of change, a lot of turnover here as we go forward. So I wanted to ask you guys, which coach who does not have a job right now has the chance to make the most impact with a new team? There are a few candidates. I phrase this question very specifically this way because I, I'm sure, as you guys know, there are coaches who do not have NFL jobs or don't have jobs right now who have or could um, that were not just let go on Black Monday. So I wanted to give you guys the opportunity to include those in your uh, now in your uh, answers here. So Sam, I will start with you. Which coach do you think has the chance to make the biggest impact? A coach who does not have a job right now. I think it's there, there's a couple that do. Obviously, um, let's rule out the special teams coach that was poached from Bill Belichick's staff, hoping to siphon any kind of luck because that's obviously not happening and Vic Fangio who kicked a field goal instead of trying to tie the game in a game where he was their team was obviously winning the entire game as we'll get to but I I think out of the three the three main ones I'd look at are Brian Flores, Matt Nagy and, and Mike Zimmer um, I think out of the three I really was impressed with what Brian Flores did with the Dolphins this year. Um, and it, it really seemed like his firing was more so the, the front office and the GM trying to not be wrong about Tua and choosing Tua over the head coach. Um, so I think he's, he's a potentially has a pretty bright future. I think in the NFL, Matt Nagy, again, He's one of those guys that we've seen success we and and obviously coming from the Chiefs, we obviously want him to do well. But Zimmer and Zimmerman's just been one of those coaches that just seems to be able to win anywhere he goes, just doesn't ever get to the top of the mountain. So I, I, I'll go with Brian Flores. I, I think he can get a get get a team. If he gets on the right team, he could be a very good coach, I think. Your point, Sam, about Brian Flores, like that – front office is like we don't want to be wrong about Tua but we also explored the entire offseason a potential trade for Deshaun Watson that's like he's put him in a really bad spot Jake what about you what do you who which coach do you think who doesn't have a job right now could make the biggest impact with another team I don't know it's so much the guy as much as the situation they wind up in and of the 
potential landing spots, you know, without looking at them, it's who is going to wind up with the best quarterback, at least in my opinion. I think the most interesting name is Kellen Moore of all of them. He's made the, I'm going to preface this statement. The Cowboys have awesome weapons. They have awesome weapons, but he's also made Dak look better than I think Dak has the past couple seasons where he got a little stagnant. So I think that has the most potential for excitement, but really it's all situation much like we see in Kansas city of GM head coach quarterback has to be right. And for those of you playing no place like Mahomes bingo, Jacob not answering Sean's question correct can now be square, scratched off the board. I, I think that's Kellen Moore space. has a job. I think if he, who's he with? <laughs> He's with the Cowboys. Is their OC, isn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah, but did you, oh, you said the people that currently don't have a job? Yes. Yeah, the question on the I rundown is meant the, the guys that were being talked about. For oh no, that's a bigger discussion for the oh, offseason. Figured oh, out. Okay. Just play the bingo game, man. Yeah, if it's my if my card, that's the free space. Just like Sean's card, the free space is ES, ESPN 2K5. <laughs> the free space. Uh, the reason I phrased this question, because I thought one of you for sure was going to bring this name up, and I wanted to give the opportunity, but Doug Peterson. Like, to me, that's the guy who doesn't have a job right now that's like, he's a Super Bowl winning coach. He's, he's shown he can win with two different types of quarterbacks. Really, a lot of his his demise in Philadelphia and it came out later is again, similar to Brian Flores. There's just a lot of dysfunction between him and the front office. Remind me where, where did he spend time? He didn't, he didn't coach at all. He didn't coach at all this year. Um, He took the whole year off. But for me, like if I'm Jacksonville, that's my first call is, is Doug Peterson, an experienced offensive mind who has experience in coaching young, talented quarterbacks, with guys like Patrick Mahomes and Carson Wentz, like that's your guy. If, if you're looking for a guy to help develop an offense, to lead a team, a guy who doesn't panic under tough circumstances like he had with the whole uh, Carson Wentz injury, having to go to Nick Foles for the playoff run. And, and to your point, Jacob, it's always going to be Jimmy's and Joe's first. But after watching Joe Judge, I do think there is a level of competency that you at least need with an NFL coach. You at least need a guy who can command a locker room. And I still think Doug Peterson can be that guy. So that would be my pick for someone who's going to have an immediate impact. And the biggest one would be, would be Peterson. Speaking of names and this, and this Jacob will now transition maybe to your, uh, maybe where you were going with your answer about Kellen Moore, but one of the guys who does have a job uh, whose name is being bounced around yet again for another year as as a prime candidate for head coaching position is Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. This is a little bit different uh, because Arrowhead Addict um, had a story that they put out there that they talked about. Eric Bieniemy is the favorite for the head coaching position in Minnesota, which he did spend. I did not realize this, but apparently he spent time there as a coach early on in his coaching career at the NFL level. So I want to I want to put some odds on this. I want to get your guys' feeling. Is this the year that Eric Bieniemy finally lands a head coaching position? You know how how likely do you think it is that we've finally gotten there? Uh, Jacob, we'll flip things and start with you here. If not now, who knows when? It just feels like something that's stuck, and we have had this discussion for you know 
almost two years now about what is it that's not getting him hired. I think we got a little bit of insight into that this year of we, I mean, we tinfoil hat conspiracies here, of course, but we have said, you know, when the Chiefs aren't doing well, of course, you like to say Eric Bienem is the offensive coordinator, but it did feel like somebody different had their thumbprints on the playbook. Having said that, me saying, you know, I don't know how great of a play caller he is. I do think he's a really good leader of men, and I think he'd be much better in a head coaching position than he would as an offensive coordinator. So I hope he gets one this year. And I bring that up because of something you guys mentioned with Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy, both guys, brilliant football minds. I think those are the best play callers we've had in recent history. The problem is they lost their locker rooms and you just can't return from that. That sometimes that happens and there's not, it's, there's not an easy way to fix it besides, Hey, let's win a lot of games. And you don't have the guys behind you. Those two things don't really line up. Sam, what about you? How are you feeling about this being the year that Eric Bieniemy finally gets a head coaching job? Do you think this is it? Or do you think that, Maybe it's just not meant to be. Personally, Jacob, did you just call Eric Bieniemy the Herm Edwards offensive version of Herm Edwards? Yes. Doesn't know how to call plays, but is a great leader of men. Correct. Okay. I'm still hoping so for Herm Edwards to work out at Arizona State. <laughs> there, there hasn't been a ton of progress other than just being a winning squad. Dude, you don't go to Arizona State to play football. You go to Arizona State to drink. I had two roommates who transferred to Baker from Arizona State that will vouch for that. But no, so I, I do think this Jacob's right. If this has to, I mean, if he doesn't get one this year, number one, it, it's it is a win. When is he gonna get one question? But number two, it's it it does start really begging the question because you you've seen how quickly Chiefs offensive coordinators have been snatched up and Again, I, I want to eliminate the race aspect from this completely. Just talking about the Chiefs offense and how quickly we've seen these guys get taken from us or, or get an opportunity, not taken from us, get an opportunity to be a head coach. There seems to be hesitance with the enemy. And I think a lot of it, like Jacob said, the tenfold hat version of us is, is seeing some of that this year where when given a chance, and again, this is all conspiracy here at this point, that he's not as successful of a play caller as, as maybe he's led on to be as being the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, this high-power offense. But I think, I think he is, is kind of due for at least a chance because um, I think that's what we're seeing in the NFL is, is a lot of these guys are just – got to give them a chance at some point. Um, but if I – and this is coming on the side of Eric Bieniemy if I'm him and I'm seeing all these, this, the coaching carousel that's just been happening, especially recently in the NFL, if the right situation isn't there, I don't know if I'm leaving because, and, and I think the Vikings would be a pretty good one again, and the right situation again, quarterback, because you're going to Denver right now. Cause that's the other, that's the other area I've heard him talked about is obviously going to Denver with Drew Locke as your quarterback without any guarantee that you're going to get. Uh, a, a substantial upgrade that's uh it's not a not a very positive outlook in life but going to minnesota having again a very solid team with kirk cousins who up and down i can't i'm never going to stay as elite but he's always been a solid quarterback um so I, I would i would really hope he gets a shot um 
just to see number one to prove our tinfoil hat theory right but number two uh i think he deserves it at this point of, of getting an opportunity to show what he can do as a head coach i actually think that minnesota is probably one of the better fits for him um just based on his movement up the offensive coaching ladder being a running backs coach with the chiefs for as long as he was and knowing the talent at running at running back that the vikings have with madison is it madison or Mattinson? i can never remember uh alexander madison and um obviously dalvin cook your those two guys are tremendous talents i think you could survive there um if he coaches to his strengths as a guy who that's his pedigree coming up this is running backs coach to offensive coordinator and you build your offense around the run game until you're finally able to get out from that contract with Kirk Cousins. And then if you have success early on, you know, and it has to be great, but if you, you know, go 10 and 7, 11 and 6, and then you're able to go get your, your own rookie quarterback or a young quarterback that you're going to build and develop, they might be more willing to give you some time to really see that through, knowing that, look, with an with a average quarterback, he was successful. Let's give him time to develop this kid and see if it's, if it's really there. So I think Minnesota might actually end up being a better fit for him. All right, let's transition to the Chiefs' last regular season game, which, man, if the NFL wanted to make Week 18 competitive and, and eliminate non-competitive games, I guess they did that because the game counted on regular season record. But as far as entertainment value, this game struggled to get to that point for me. This was a boring game and a game that, God, if you saw that field, just made me nervous the entire time. It's this weird combination of I want to turn this off, but I need to make sure I watch all the way through to make sure everybody is healthy at the end. So knowing that this performance didn't look like the Chiefs have to this point this season. Even against the, the the Bengals, like it wasn't perfect, but it didn't feel like a lack of intensity, a lack of urgency, the way this game did. Um, how concerned are you guys with what we saw against the Broncos with a game that was as close as it was and where they, they trailed most of it? Um, Sam, we'll start with you. The only thing I hope is this is a this was a performance that was driven, well, uh, dragged down, I should say, by being the first 17th game in the regular season and being a game that it's hard to say, like, the team just didn't believe that they were going to get the first round by, that Houston was going to be able to beat the Titans. So they were all just kind of like, all right, let's run through the motions. And again, underestimating the Broncos, because I think the Broncos came out and just said, you know what? We don't got anything to lose, so let's see what we can do. Um, and the Chiefs just kind of came out flat and didn't look like they wanted to play this game. So, Jacob, how about you? How, how concerning was this performance for you when it was all said and done? Much like my baby, the Chiefs slept through the entire first half of the game was, was what happened. It was, it was a little frustrating to watch because at first I thought, Oh, they're they're kind of running a preseason model here of don't show too much, don't worry about featuring the big guys between Kelsey and Hill. So yeah, it did feel like a preseason game as far as the play calling went in the first half, and offense was just kind of eh, 
nothing too crazy awesome. I we I know we're going to get a little more into the offensive line, but I also felt like they were playing in the preseason. Um, and then as far as the defense goes, that team really thought that it was a preseason game because they refused to tackle. You can go watch Drew Locke's second touchdown run where three guys had a chance to hit Drew Locke and just let him run in. Because, like, ah, we're good. Patrick's on the other side. So, I was, like, disappointed. Not 100% because I understood in a sense that I think the air was deflated out of the ball after they lost to Cincinnati and realized they were not going to get the one seed. I don't think they're as hopeful as we are as fans, but I also don't think they look at other teams in the same sense. I think they always look at, did we take care of business ourselves? No. Now, who cares about this game? I go back and forth. I listened to a podcast with Mike DeVito and Jeff Allen uh, on the Kansas City Sports Network today, and they talked – like, Jeff Allen came out and said it. Like, that would have been a hard game to get up for. Like, knowing that you've clinched the two seed, knowing that the odds are against you for the one seed, there's not – you've already locked up the AFC West. You're playing a team that has nothing to play for. You've already beaten once. Like, there's, there's not a lot to play for that will benefit you in the immediate. And I felt like that showed. Now, if why, yeah, I was actually going to point out the Drew Lock run, that that one was the one that made me really uncomfortable. Where Drew Lock just kind of walked into the end zone at the end, and I you watch like Tyron Matthew and Legarius Sneed both just kind of pull up right at the end of that and let him walk in. I'm just like, guys, like, what are we doing? Um, and again, like, I don't, I don't know what anybody's going through. Maybe people were. I'd have been nervous playing on that field, but it definitely felt like there was no intensity in that game. And I'm hopeful that that is just a product of, of, like you said, Sam, it's a week 18 game for the first time ever. It's again, like all the things you said, Jacob, it's like, it's against the team. There's nothing to play for. Like it is what it is, but it didn't, it didn't make me feel any more. It didn't make me feel super anxious necessarily going forward. Like, oh, my God, this has to be fixed right now. But it definitely was something that made me uncomfortable, I guess is the best way to say it. Speaking, Jacob, you had mentioned that we're going to talk about the offensive line. Let's do that right now. The offensive line looked a little bit more in terms of the personnel on the field like uh, it was supposed to. Orlando Brown Jr. did come back to this game and – and played the whole game, didn't seem to have any residual effects uh, from his injury prior to the game against the Bengals. Moves Joe Tooney back into left guard, Allegretti back to the bench. What do we think? How, again, this, this was kind of a hard game to evaluate them. I felt at times just because that field was trash. Like, the field crew should be ashamed. That was absolute garbage. Denver's field looked like an absolute dumpster fire. It looked like and there was a lot of jokes going around Twitter about like it was there a Shakira concert last night referring referring to like the Chiefs game against the Chargers in Mexico. And it, so, I, again, I will offer up that it might have been hard to evaluate them at times. But based on what we saw, how do you think the offensive line looked with the return of Orlando Brown Jr.? Jacob, we'll start with you. Well, let me start first with the field conditions as our resident Denver meteorologist. I was very confused by the field because I knew that it was supposed to rain. And then as the game was going on and I'm looking out the windows, I'm like, it's not raining. Why is the field so slick? 
And then at the end of the game, they're like, oh, here's that rain that we were supposed to get way earlier. I was like, wait, it didn't rain? This is more so just me stating that I should go outside more often. But they clearly did nothing in in preparation for the field. I think what happened was just the snow melted on the field. They didn't tarp the field or anything. They just let the snow melt on it. They're like, nah, that's fine. Who cares if we're playing a game here in a couple of days? They had the same – the field crew had the same mentality as the Broncos players for the majority of the season. Yeah, again, the offense was just so vanilla and basic. And I think it still falls into the same category of Andy Reid wants to save his best plays for the biggest moments. I'd like to say that that theory fully holds up, but we look at last week's game, and you can throw that right in the garbage too. So what I'm saying is I'm giving an answer that contradicts itself. And if you are playing my bingo card today and you had Jacob argues against his own argument today, you can go ahead and cross off that square. <laughs> but no, I really don't take much from the offense because I do think they were keeping it very basic and boring. People are going to hit bingo before we get to a half hour in this show at this rate. Sam, what about you? What did you th- how did you think the offensive line looked uh, at the end of this game? I point to one play. I think it was the second or third running play we ran. Trey Smith pulled. And on that play, I said, I literally said to myself, they do not want to be here because he put in no effort. Like the Trey Smith we know is the bulldozer. He just kind of like shambled over to the other side and kind of got in the guy's way. And then the guy that he was supposed to block tackled the running back there. Williams. I was just like, well, that, that was uninspiring. <laughs> um, no, I mean, again, as, as a guy who played offensive line at a much, much lower level and not nearly the number of games by the end of the season, man, I, I think I can't even remember. It's been, way too long for me to remember how many games I had to play, but it was like 10 games or something like that in, in college. You're beat up, dude. You're, you're, you're sore. You're tired. And I can, I can definitely see as an offensive lineman going into this game, specifically that position group going into this game and just being like, all right, let's, let's do it. Let's get it over with. And, and let me go home and sleep because I'm tired. Um, yeah. I, so I, I, th- I was happy to see Orlando Brown out there. I thought he it didn't it didn't seem to show to me watching him. He didn't seem hampered at all, which was the biggest thing I was looking for to see if he is he looks healthy. And the fact that they felt comfortable enough to roll him out in this game is obviously a big sign going into the pre or the postseason. Um, I, I do think it would have been fun to kind of see some alterations in the offensive line, but I guess this late in the season, you really don't want to start messing with the formula. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it was really a, a formula or a, 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 an outcome driven by the offensive line, just kind of be like, all right, let's do it, let's get it over with, and and go home at this point because I, I just don't think they cared too much about the game. Yeah, I I agree. I think the biggest thing is everyone got out healthy. I think that was the only thing I cared about after there's a play where Patrick Holmes drops back and Joe Tooney just falls like he goes to plant and the field just gives and you see his feet go out from underneath him and he literally he does everything he can to stop the guy from sacking Mahomes uh but after that I was like okay my evaluation process just changed let's make sure everyone gets out of here 
found any torn groins and not any rolled ankles, no, no non-contact injuries because of this crap field. Uh, it was good to see Orlando Brown Jr. I thought he looked like he moved well. And as you said, Sam, there were no inhibitions. So that was the big thing for me. Still looks like a cohesive unit minus the place where, you know, everything was falling apart because that field was just absolute trash. All right, moving to the next topic here. I debated thoroughly whether or not to put this topic on here because I know how certain people feel about certain other people. And I'm always a little anxious <laughs> given our history with this podcast about talking about one of these individuals. So, but in talking about McCole Harmon and Byron Pringle, both those guys I thought stepped up in a big way. Uh, for I thought you were going to ask about Andrew Wiley for a second there. <laughs> because I was going to say, you know what? Clip of... <laughs> I said offensive line. I gave you the opportunity gonna... to crap on your guy. I, I, well, he's I played really say... good football. I mean, yeah. Andrew Wiley has played That's good football. What I was going to say is he's actually made some strides and he looks like more of a tackle than a guard. <laughs> yeah. Mainly because he's terrible at guard, in my opinion, just because he lacks the strength to play it. But he looks better. He's been looking good at tackle. So I just want to give kudos before I forgot to. All right, good. I'm glad we got kudos. I was worried we were going to get smacked on all kinds of fronts here. Not ready to go into playoffs and have Chiefs angry mob come after us, especially after we just grabbed a bunch of new followers, which if you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're crazy. Looking at the stats from this game, Tyree Hill finds out – well, not Tyree Hill finds out. Coaches find out Tyree Hill's hurt right before kickoff, like right before. They go to McCole Harmon and say, hey, guess what? You're Tyree Hill today. Uh, McCole Harmon goes out, has 11 targets, eight catches, 103 yards. Byron Pringle, and again, another elevated role. We've seen him kind of play more and more. Eight targets, five catches, 56 yards. Pyron Pringle has a respectable game. McCole Harmon had a really good game, statistically speaking. Again, you can debate how he got there. I think that's a valid argument. But he did have a really good game, statistically. And his first 100-yard receiving game of his career, easy, Sam, but a big day for him. So my question to you guys is, the combination of Pringle and Hardman, do we think they're peaking just at the right time, right before the playoffs? Or is this a product of health, timing, you know, that we mentioned with Tyree Hill being out, the timing of where we're at in the season, who gives a rip about this game, um, and obviously the opponent being the Broncos, who I thought played inspired. But I do think they were out, like, what, they were out Kareem Jackson and Ronald Darby, a couple of their secondary guys. Do you think it's a product of those kinds of things, or are they hitting their stride? to be contributors for the playoffs. Um, Sam, I'll give you the floor first. So for, for, for our new listeners of, of those, anyone that we gained over this past week, I don't like McCall Hardman. <laughs> Go back to previous podcasts to listen to why, but I will give a guy credit when it's credit, credit is due. He had a good game. I mean, eight catches for 103 yards. Do it consistently and do it when it matters, and maybe I won't hate you as much. So, yeah, if this is – they are coming along at the right time, as long as they've seen both of these guys come out with, with great game and then just crap the bed the next. So it's it's just a matter of can we see the consistent – consistent this on a consistent basis, and if we do, great. That will slowly – 
ease my hatred of the pick of McCole Hardman instead of DK Metcalf. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, as long as they're, they're peaking at the, in the postseason, that's when you want it to happen, I guess. Um, if they're finally going to figure out how to play football, that's great. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'll give them credit for this game. Let's see it when it really matters next week and the week after. And the week after, hopefully. And I so hope there's on a, and so forth. a third and fourth week after. That'd be a big deal. Uh, Jacob, what about you? McCole Harmon, Byron Pringle hitting their stride just in time for the playoffs? Or is this a product of opponent health, et cetera? This was a Chiefs preseason game by all means. Getting the guys touches that you want to make sure develop, but also keeping your starters healthy. It was a product of that. Hopefully it translates. Uh, that was the goal, right, was to get those guys touches and make them feel more comfortable in the offense. But we all know when it gets to the playoff time, it's going to be a healthy dose of Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. I think it could absolutely be them hitting their stride at the right time, so long as people know what that means. This is kind of where I've landed on McCole Harmon and Byron Pringle. It's all about, I mean, I think the, the frustration that some Chiefs fans have had with McCole Harmon is largely, I think, misplaced. I think it should be more on the team for not evaluating maybe where he should have gone. Like if McCole Harmon is, is a fourth or a fifth round pick, no one cares. No one cares. But he was taken in the second. And so, and, and you saw all these guys taken after him that are key contributors, your Deontay Johnson's, your AJ Brown's, your Terry McLaurin's. I think actually AJ Brown had gone ahead of him, I think. But Terry McLaurin, Deontay Johnson, and DK Metcalf all went after. And those are impact receivers. Nicole is a valuable player. And I think what this can do, I'm hoping what it will do. If you listen to McCole in the post-game press conference, they said, how does it feel to get your first 100-yard receiving game? And he takes, like, this deep breath and just kind of says, finally, and laughs. Like, and he clearly knew it was a thing. Like, he absolutely knew that, like, this was a number he had not hit in his time as a chief, going with this being his third year. What I'm hoping this does is allow him maybe to relax a little bit and gain some confidence. Because I think if you can do that and just be like, look, you play your role. Just be confident in your role. We talk about this with Dan Sorensen seemingly every year that we've done this podcast. And before we had the podcast, we talked about it just between the three of us. Just let, let the guys do what they're good at. Let role players be role players. And maybe you won't be disappointed. Nicole Harmon is not DK Metcalf. That is frustrating. But I think the frustration lies with the team. We now know what McCole Hardman is. And I think they allowed him to be McCole Hardman in this game. And you saw what could happen. Same thing with Byron Pringle. If you just quit expecting Byron Pringle to be Sammy Watkins, it's like, oh, cool. Like, we got an undrafted free agent who's good for five catches and 50-plus yards. That's very valuable as an undrafted free agent. I am hopeful what this does is it gains them confidence that, like, as long as you do your job, just do your job, we can be effective. We'll see if that happens. I am hopeful. But again, it's a Sam's point. We've seen times where it's, you know, a big game and then they come back to the pack. So we'll see. Is part of McCole Hardman's job learning how to carry the football when he runs? You know, I've lost all hope that any chief will carry the ball with any level of security 
that is not named. I, I would have said Clyde Edwards Alaire, but even this year, like he's fumbling the ball too. So, like, if you look at the history of Chiefs players, you know, your Demarcus Robinsons, your LaShawn McCoys, your uh, you know, even even Mahomes when he runs, sometimes holds the ball out here. And it's just like, what are you doing? Uh McCole Harmon is definitely guilty. Uh Travis Kelsey, like early on in his career, was known for fumbling. Like four this, fumbles in a four lost fumbles in a season, two the second, and then an additional two at one point, but only one each year after. Yeah, like something like that. I, I just don't think Chiefs. Play. I think Andy Reid probably thinks that ball security should be implied, and maybe some people just don't get it. But yes, I agree that every chief should probably hold on to the ball with a little more security. I'm just gonna say it, just just to put it out there, put it in the universe. I do think the the sleeper pick returned or sleeper agent returned for going into the postseason. That's the real jet. Mm. Just just gonna say it, man. That guy. I want him to be healthy. Oh, bad. <laughs> Just be able to play. <laughs> that touchdown is gorgeous. Oh, it just shows you, like, something that they don't have at running back right now, which is someone who can create something out of nothing. And you watch that, and you're just like, man, if you'd have been healthy, you'd have been starting somewhere, like, for your entire career. All right, let's move on to the man under center because – I want to put this sucker to bed about Mahomes being broken, Mahomes having a uh, you know down year, Justin Herbert being better than him, all of this just crap. Uh, if you want to tell me Mahomes had wasn't didn't look himself, fine, I'll listen to that for sure. I think that's a, a valid uh, discussion. But Patrick Mahomes this year, his stat line that he finished with was. 66% completion percentage, 4,839 yards passing, 37 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Something factor, one extra game. Absolutely. That is something to consider. I actually ran averages right before the podcast just to see. If he had played 16 games, he would have been a little more than 4,500 yards, 35 touchdowns, and essentially like 12 picks. So he would have tied his career high with interceptions. What do we think – what have we learned about Mahomes after this season? You know, there's all the talk. And, and Jacob, you, you even said it last week. Like, he was – you said he, he, quote, he was a little bit broken to start the year. And I think that uh, – I hate the word broken because I think it implies something different. But I agree that, like, he did not look himself. Trying to learn with an off- new offensive line not feeling completely comfortable. It's a year without Sammy Watkins for the first time. There's, there are a lot of things going on here that made him adjust who he was. And yet he had the second most passing yards he's ever had in his career. Third mo- He had 37 touchdowns, which is the third most he's had. Second most was 38, and then obviously the 50. He had one more. For all the talk about Mahomes being turnover prone this year, he had one more interception this year than he did in 2018. Now, 2018 is masked because he threw 50 touchdowns. It's very valid. But I do want to ask, what have we learned about Mahomes seeing this, seeing him throughout this full year, knowing what his final stat line was? Jacob, we'll start with you. To quickly summarize what you were saying, Sean, the broken part of him and quarterbacks are bad for many different reasons. It's one of the 
when I'm looking at quarterbacks from college, I look at a lot of different factors. The factors that Mahomes was struggling with was number one, spilling out of pockets that didn't need to be spilled out of, and then adjusting to a coverage he didn't feel comfortable against just yet. The cover two was killing him because he was sitting on his deep routes for too long. And by the time that was over, his underneath routes were gone. And then he just had to backyard football, but the backyard football wasn't working out like we'd seen it in the past because teams were playing with their eyes towards him instead of with their backs towards him and with man coverage. Having said all that, the man is playing his best football and that should terrify everybody in the NFL. It's why it's why I think the Chiefs are the favorite still, but you're not going to hear that national news because it's boring to pick the same team year after year. But I do think teams really should be scared because he is playing his best football down the stretch and not being turnover prone. And he's making guys that are into the roster guys, legitimate NFL players in Byron Pringle, Daryl Williams, those type of guys look like solid NFL players because of him. And that was lastly, that was because of that is one of the things that Peyton Manning always loved about could make any receiver look good. Sam, what about you? What what have you learned about Patrick Mahomes this year? Now that it's all said and done, we have a final stat line. We've gone through the journey of everything Jacob just kind of covered really well. What have you learned about Patrick Mahomes? He's still really good at football. <laughs> surprise, surprise. He's Even still when number he's one. bad, he's still really good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, he had, he had a rough start. He had In the first half of the season, he had 10 of his interceptions. And that was really a, like, five- or six-game stretch of those that he threw 10 interceptions. So, and and he's – there There have been times, like, even in this game, it there were times that he threw the ball straight to the other team. And I think that's more – a couple of those were he was expecting a route that didn't, didn't happen because I think there is a level of comfort with some of the receivers that he's – Sammy Watkins, uh, even though he was hurt all the time, there was a level of comfort there. When Tyreek's not in the game, he's losing that. So when he's having to adapt to new players, you, you saw the frustration with, with a couple of plays with Byron Pringle specifically, I think, where he was expecting him to continue routes. And the ball, almost, I mean, twice the ball almost got intercepted, intercepted because of it. But, no, he, he's – if this is broken, I don't even want to know what you'd call quarterback play before Patrick – or well, we'll say before uh, Alex Smith came to the Kansas City Chiefs. If, if this is broken, then we were – I don't even know what you refer to that as. Just I think you call it, if you get the right guys around this guy, yeah. quarterback play. <laughs> there, were, there was no right guy for Tyler Palco. You would call Tyler Palco Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what you call Tyler Palco if, Ty, if Patrick Mahomes is broken. Yeah, but, <laughs> Again yeah. – a YouTube recommend, please go back and watch. I believe it's three consecutive turnovers by Tyler Palco in a row. But yeah, no, he, I mean, it was, it, again, rough, rougher start of the year. I think it was, even though when, when we think about the Kansas State Chiefs, the three big names that always pop out, obviously, you, you, it's Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill. But this year, you had a rotation around those three that I don't think we'd seen since Mahomes has started, brand new offensive line, 
set of wide receivers that are not new, but new to this amount of playing time. And so it was a much bigger turnover than I think maybe mentally we thought about, because when we think about the Chiefs, we think about three players on the side of the ball. You don't ever really consider the other three until you dig down deeper. So I think the beginning of the season, there was a, a big transitional period um, that he was still working through. And, and you can still see it to a point, I think. I think there's still a level there where he's he's still not as comfortable. I, I joked about it last week, but like this week again, when the offensive line was breaking down, it almost looked like he was more comfortable because he was like, yeah, I, I know how to do this. This is fun. I remember how to do this perfectly fine from last year and the year before. Um, so, but it, it it's just a matter of time that he, he just needs to take to adjust. And I, again, maybe it's tenfold hat. I still think having a child is probably something that messes with you when you're a professional athlete and you have a child that is crying all night long. That could probably affect you when going into a football game. Jacob, as a professional teacher, did that affect your teaching ability or were you, did you teach at such a level that all you had to do was step it up a little bit to match it? Was that your, was that the secret? I already taught at a uh, 40% effort and then I was down to about a 30% effort. Okay. So, so it was, it was a slight, slight decrease, but not noticeable enough that you know, ever, no one would have called you out on it. Yeah. It sounds like the problem is, is like trying to excel or having already excelled. And then, and then people notice when you take like a minor step back, you're like, wait a minute, you don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Patrick Mahomes. He, he excelled too hard the first couple of years, and now people will never let him live it down, apparently. He needed to take a lesson from Jacob Allen, math teacher. <laughs> Listen, I, I, didn't, I didn't come up with the theory myself, but it's, it's true. You, you never give 100% at your job because then when you give 90%, people notice. But if you give, if you give like 60% at your job and then one day you give 80%, people are like, wow, man, he's having a good day. But if you give 50 40%, you're like, ah, it's not that bad. Lauren, my wife and I uh, got a puppy on Christmas Eve and I barely function now. Uh, so I can't fathom having a child and trying to lead and man a team in front of 80,000 people every week, traveling all over the country to do so. On top of all of those other media obligations, commercials, et cetera, whatnot, interviews uh press and all that jazz so you know what sean as the parent of a child you comparing being the parent of a dog and the parent of a child it is really not that far off you just can't put the kid in a, a cage oh. without the authorities being called that's really the only difference see Everything i was like, completely the same i was downplaying like having the dog is like a like look i only have a dog and i'm exhausted all the time i've never had a dog that was under three years old or under two years old so having a puppy i'm just like jesus wept will you go to sleep when you're not in the crate but now i feel better maybe i'm more ready to be a dad than, than i thought i was but hopefully Mahomes will be able to put this behind him for me like it does speak to his greatness that people are like, man, what's wrong with Patrick Mahomes where he's fourth in passing yards. He's top, what is it, top five in touchdowns. He's tied for fifth with a bunch of people at, uh, or tied for fourth, excuse me, um, with 37 touchdowns with Dak and uh, Aaron Rodgers. 
And interception is a little harder, but he's like top 15. He wasn't, wasn't like he was just throwing the ball all over the place and, and getting like, you know, Brett Favre numbers on picks while throwing 36 touchdowns. It is what it is. It's, it's hard. I also think this year was kind of difficult for him because Aaron Rodgers was doing Aaron Rodgers things. And in, you know, not even with 17 games, Aaron Rodgers still had 37 touchdowns, only four picks. On the other side of him, Tom Brady's 44 freaking years old, throwing for five, more than like 5,300 passing yards and 43 touchdowns. So there are other guys that have been in the league a long time that you're seeing do things that are pretty remarkable for how long they've been in the league. And what you've already seen out of Patrick Mahomes, to see him, to see him struggle at all, I think was new. And I think also this speaks to how spoiled we got in such a short amount of time as Chiefs fans, where we, you know, the national media were the the largest offenders. But I do think there were, I mean, we talked about it frequently. We we used to joke about like the the Twitter handle for this, the podcast is at Noma Holmes on Twitter, because we thought it was funny that it's a podcast that that talks about Chiefs and yet it was at Noma Holmes. And we also like tried, Sam, I think has mentioned this a few times, like we take pride in trying to take a, a wider view than maybe obviously the national media does where it's like quarterback and nobody else. But we talked about Mahomes a lot after his quote unquote, after his struggles this year. And yet he's still a top five quarterback in a down year. Like if you're a Chiefs fan, I think all this should do is bolster how you feel about the team. Knowing that your quarterback in a down year was a top five quarterback. What could he do next year? Let's flip this coin and go to the other side of the football and look at the defense who gave up 24 points to a Drew Locke led offense. (sighs) We've talked a little bit about them already with the whole, are they going to tackle Drew Locke before he gets in the end zone? And, and again, you want to give credit to the field being bad, it being a, a game that you didn't have much to play for all the stuff we've already talked about. But I do think there's some things that are still concerning given who they were playing about this performance and specifically the tackling. And the only reason I think that is because it's the second week in a row that we've seen the tackling not be good. Against the Bengals, the tackling, Sam, you brought it up, was atrocious. Like, I think I didn't even have it on a rundown. And you, like, stopped, like, made a point of, like, no, we need to talk about the tackling. It was awful. This game, it was – some of it was, as Jacob brought up, like, you saw the guys converge on Drew Locke and decide, we're not going to try. But when they did try, the tackling was still not good. So how concerned are you guys about the tackling for the Kansas City Chiefs? Jacob, we'll start with you. Yes. Yes, I am. Because I, it's a switch that's tough to, I would say, turn off and on. But the reason I'm not fully concerned is the reason, you know, I'm kind of going to lean into once we start talking about the next matchup of with the Steelers, as far as I think if any team has an advantage of turning a switch on and off, it is the Chiefs because of how much they've been in the playoffs over the last couple of seasons. I guess my bigger concern is the guys that they're playing are the ones that can't tackle. 
I wish I would have looked at the snap count because I forgot to, and I don't even know if my my thought here is even an accurate statement statistically backed up. But Anthony Hitchens was back out there a lot again. Dan Sorensen was in the box a lot. So he was in the spot he should have been if they're going to play him, you know, not playing deep. But he was still just missing his tackles everywhere. So I think it's almost more a product of who's playing. And then this week was just a motivation issue. Yeah, Dan Sorensen, here's a snap count for you, Jacob. Dan Sorensen, again, he didn't play a lot. He played 35% of the snaps. Um, ben Neiman actually only played 26, so he, he really didn't play a whole lot. But Anthony Hitchens didn't play 70% of the snaps on defense. Willie Gay Jr. played 70%. Nick Bolton only played 44%. Maybe that's a problem with your tackling. It's not playing your best tackler who's literally led your team in tackles. And that is a huge issue, especially this upcoming week. Even with the Broncos, you knew they were going to run the ball. Why would you not be playing Nick Bolton? It's clear the time has passed Anthony Hitchens by. Steve Spagnola is going to risk his job just on personnel groupings. Sam, what about you? How, how concerned are you about the Chiefs' struggles tackling, uh, given that it's now gone on? This is the second week in a row that we've seen it. It's pretty high level of concern um, because it's a problem. Problem we saw, I think, kind of at the beginning of the season where the little mistakes were, were what killed us and we're reverting almost back to it at the end of the season, which is not – I thought it's one of those that you try to keep that momentum running through into the postseason and it seemed to kind of cut, cut back. Again, I, I'm going to give as much credit as I can on this game to the fact that it, they just – no one wanted to be out there trying not to get hurt, which, which is funny because, I mean – in a lot, a lot of times when guys get hurt, it's when they're trying not to get hurt. Like when you don't actually play full speed is a lot of times when things go wrong <laughs> instead of just doing the mo- the thing that your body is used to doing, they try to control it. And that's when a lot of times the injuries actually come about. Um, but no, it's, it's a concern for sure because it's not just Anthony Hitchens. I, Anthony Hitchens, obviously, I, I agree. His, his time has passed. He's still can can serve a role on the team, but not as a starter, not as a 70% snap count guy. But it, it's guys like that we consider very sure tackler tacklers, Legarius Sneed, Traverius Ward has always been a very sure tackler. Most of our secondary, I'll just say the majority of our secondary outside of Dan Sorensen have usually been pretty good tacklers. Tyron obviously has that weird, I don't necessarily like to wrap up, I just like to hit method. Doesn't always work. 90% of the time it doesn't work, but he, he at least stops guys. Um, the rest of the guys just kind of do the, I'm going to hug you until someone else comes around, but they tackle. And we've been kind of seeing a, a lack of that. So yeah, no, the, the tackling is definitely a pretty high level of concern. And I'm just hoping that going into the postseason, it, it kind of reinvigorates the physical nature that our defense had kind of come to come to bring kind of halfway through the season, through the through the remainder of the season that we saw. Yeah, after the Bengals game, I was like, ah, it's a one-off, it sucks, but it's it's rough. This is this is where I'm not like worried, but I'm it's now grabbed my attention. Where it's like, okay, is this a grouping thing? Is this a who you were playing when you were playing them thing? Or is this a problem? And maybe maybe Jacob Sam you guys both mentioned groupings like Jacob used like 
talking about spags losing his job about groupings like i will watch now and like okay who is missing the tackle you know sammy mentioned the jerry sneed that this was i think the first game i watched where i was like oh the jerry sneed didn't didn't bring him down that's different we'll see um again it's not something that i am worried about but it has now got my attention as something that needs to be watched moving on from the the tackle maybe taking a broader lens here we've had this this defense for a full season now it's a top 10 scoring defense not as good on the yards but it's a spags defense what do we expect how do we feel about this defensive unit going into the playoffs is this a unit that can help win you games or are they a unit that took advantage of some opportunistic moments against teams that were bad offensively or weren't at full strength at the time they played them like they did with the Packers. How do you guys feel about this, this defensive grouping going into the playoffs uh, as, as we start that this coming Sunday? Sam, we'll start with you. Relatively confident. The, I, I think again, the Spags, Spags defense seeing tons of yards be put up on our defense. I'm not, ever too concerned because that's always been kind of his thing is, is Ben don't break, give up the field goal, not the touchdown essentially. And, and that's what we've seen pretty much this year. I will say the thing that has reinvigorated the defense as a whole, and what makes me a lot more comfortable going into the postseason is really the, the only guy, again, guy that may have saved that game. And I think the only guy that really only came out to play the game, which is Melvin Ingram. I, I think his addition halfway through the season may have been one of the bigger transitional acquisitions I think I've ever seen in season where you see a guy come in and it just things change almost instantaneously. Now there's a chain, a kind of a, a chain effect of what, what him coming in. Cause again, you see your best, the second best defense attack. I, I still can't not say Chris Jones is better than Aaron Donald at this point, but still, one of the greatest defensive tackles I think we've seen in a long time move away from defensive end back to defensive tackle huge for the defensive line in general. And I think that in itself changed the defensive line to be where we're not seeing as much necessity for just blitzing as we had at the beginning of the year to get pressure because the front four now are doing a better job of doing that. And I still have, as, as we'll, it will likely be a conversation going into the, after the, after the season's over of, of cornerback. Cause that's, that's the one point of question I do have is, is who's that second cornerback? Well, who's the first cornerback Because Ward is a second cornerback just playing first cornerback at this point. Um, but no, I'm, I'm pretty confident going into the, the postseason. I think as long as this, whatever this tackling hiccup is not an issue moving forward, I feel confident enough in, in the defense being able to hold teams to a point defense can outscore them. I'll put it that way. Because again, I, I don't think we're you're we're not a lockdown defense where it just shuts everybody down. We're a let's slow the team down as much as we can, bend don't break, and let Patrick Mahomes score points. Jay, what about you? How how confident are you in this defense as we move now into the playoffs? Uh, if Steve Spagnola can pull his head out of his rear and play the guys that should be playing, I feel great, but I don't trust him 
because of this last week and even the Bengals game where the snap counts for Bolton were very strange. I can't say I have a ton of confidence beyond the Steelers game. So what I hope to see in this game is not a lot of Anthony Hitchens. I have the utmost of confidence, like you said, as long as it's the right guys on the field. I think Nick Bolton and Willie Gay need to be on the field at all times. I get that Nick Bolton's not a great coverage linebacker. He's still one of your bigger playmakers and your shirt's tacklers. I think that having something to play for will help in a massive way. I, I think that is a huge reason why we saw maybe a lackluster performance from the defense specifically. I think that's where it stood out to me the most, which is on the defensive side. Not even just like the lack of a, ability to tackle, but just like letting guys run away. Uh, the way you saw Drew Locke just get into the end zone. I think that is a pure product of like, let's just get out of here healthy. So knowing the playmakers that you have, knowing that when you are full force, everybody's on the field, what is possible, I am pretty confident that this team can hang handle most offenses, at least to the point where you allow Mahomes and the offense to get that one extra possession needed. Uh, to go up on the scoreboard and not relinquish it. It's just a matter of, are you playing Dan Sorensen deep? Are you playing Ben Neiman on third down as a non-blitzer? You know, those kinds of things. It's, it's, a, it's a series of, of potential personnel things that I think could make this defense not perform to its utmost. Otherwise, I feel really, really good about it. Let's look ahead to some Chiefs playoff football which I feel like we're getting pretty spoiled about because it seemed like a lot of Chiefs Kingdom was maybe down about being the two seed, which I get to a certain extent. It's like the first year you don't have a bye week as, as the two seed for the Chiefs. Because the last time they were a two seed, they, they had a bye week when they went to the Super Bowl in 2019. So I get maybe some of that, but Chiefs are still the second best team on paper going into the playoffs and I'll make you an argument there. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to pick them head to head or not pick them head to head against the Titans. Unless like Derrick Henry does come back full strength. We'll see. But again, this is another weird game in that you already smoked the Steelers, which is who the chiefs will play coming up on Sunday night football in the wild card round. They decided to make this the prime time game. Chiefs against a Ben Roethlisberger, who's probably going to retire after this year. Chiefs beat them 36 to 10 during the regular season, and they did it without Travis Kelsey and mostly without Tyreek Hill. Are you guys worried at all? Given the previous result, the, the team will get complacent going into this game. Um, you'll flip things around, and Jacob will start with you. I hope again that this is where the Chiefs playoff experience and just big time games throughout the last you know four or five years, I'll say, comes into play. One of the key aspects of that 2019 Chiefs was they had the ability to just turn a switch on and all of a sudden just landslide you and put 28 points on the board before you even realize what had happened. I do think we started to see that near the end of the season, which makes me believe it's still in there. They still have that ability. And so I'm hoping that that switch still exists 
and I think there was some proof for it. Sam, how about you? Is there any concern that the Chiefs will take this game lightly, knowing that they already beat the Steelers without their full complement of weapons? Of concern of, of getting up for a game like this, I think we saw a level of that this last week to a different extent because this last week obviously really didn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. But it, it is a can it's more of a can you get back up for this game? Because I think we went from having the super high, like crazy high to, to destroying low of the Bengals game to staying low for the Broncos game. Now can we bring it back to the level we need to be at to just beat beat a team that I think no one will argue that the Chiefs are not the better team in this situation. But they, I mean, after last week or after the Bengals game, it, that's a, that's a rough loss. And I think that that we didn't really, didn't really think about it until then. But that could have played a role in the to this week as far as why, I mean, guys weren't up as they just lost a game where you did lose the first seed and you you lost it in a fashion that no one's real happy about. So maybe they're just like, yeah, screw this. Let's okay, whatever. Now it's can you jump that level back up? Um, but again, I Big Ben, man, he will go down as he's, he'll be a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt Big Ben's not, not going to be a Hall of Famer, but dude's broken. Like, and has every right to be broken at this point with what kind of abuse he's been through. And, and I just don't, I don't see that team. I mean, the, we saw what the, my argument, how, how valid my argument of, thinking my or the conversation of Mike Tomlin being such a good coach because I think we all agree with that didn't play much effect in the last game and I don't think even as good a coach as he is he's going to be able to coach his way out of this paper bag um, that is the Pittsburgh Steelers right now so I, I'm not too concerned as far as being able to beat the team I think my level of concern is being able to get back up to a level that the appropriate level after a crushing loss and then a game that didn't matter uh, since we're in the ballpark and we we're talking Ben Roethlisberger, you got me thinking. We used to do a lot of comparisons and in this, but Ben Roethlisberger is definitely being from the Midwest. We all know what we're talking about. Not necessarily every family has one of these, but at least you have a family friend that has one of these, which is it's Big Ben is that old work truck that your family has that your family's had in the family for like thirty years. It has dents on every single part of it from every single year that you've owned it. And at this point, it still runs, but just barely. It's in your family. The rule is you don't take it outside of city limits because you're not sure it's going to make it to where you need to go. Yeah, you don't take it highway for sure. Otherwise, you're definitely going to break down. We've definitely had cars like that. I was about to say, so you're basically referring to every Deegan child's first car? (laughs) <laughs> it, it's the work truck. <laughs> my my first car. But, but yes, Big Ben is a truck. Let's. Yeah. My first car threw a rod on I thirty five going seventy miles an hour, and I had to pull over. Like this is just something you deal with as a deacon. It happens. I think Sean's second car about gave me frostbite. Oh Jesus! Man had to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, a little orange of a little. My little orange lifesaver 
But candy, uh, not, not the car. In, in fairness, not to pile on Sean, I had a vehicle that nearly gave us a heat stroke because not only did the AC not work, it was pumping hot air out of the vents. <laughs> uh, I, to put my final thoughts on this, I think that the Chiefs will come out, they're going to look sharp, and the only concern I have is that they go to sleep for too long in the second half in an effort not to show anything, kind of like you were talking about earlier. It's, it's my only concern. Will Andy Reid take his foot off the gas too soon? and allow Pittsburgh to come back into the game. Because Pittsburgh, while Ben is broken, like, physically, they do have weapons. Like, Najee Harris, Najee Harris, I looked up his stats today. I don't know how he's alive with as many times as he has touched the football this year. Then you look at guys like Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson, who we mentioned earlier in the McCall Hardman and Byron Pringle discussion. Like, They've got some dudes on that team that can really make plays. Pat Fryermuth is a very good young tight end. If they've got a full complement of weapons, my only concern would be taking your foot off the gas too soon and allowing Pittsburgh to, to hang around at the game to where one mistake might be enough to put you out of the playoffs. I was going to give you crap for what did Najee Harris do against this last game, but he had 93 yards. When did he get 93 <laughs> yards in that game? Because I don't remember it. I don't. <laughs> it was on 19 carries. So apparently he still had a almost five yard a carry get or a carry per average. So something's happening there. But I don't remember him having 93 yards in that game. The problem was they tried to drive the work truck outside of the city. They kept <laughs> they they kept putting Big Ben on the highway, and now we forgot no, that the Ferrari it's not even was putting in the Big garage. Ben on the highway. They tried to hook the trailer up to it, and that just doesn't go nope. well at all. Nope, not good. Oh, my God. All right, let's get some final score predictions because this is where it really matters. So we either need to be as wrong as possible in an effort to to continue our stretch of being, like, bad at predicting, or we need to be, like, dead on. So really consider this, gents. I'll go ahead and go first just to get mine out of the way. Uh, I am going to say the final score on this is going to be 31 to I'll say 17. I think the defense will come to play. Uh, Sam, we'll go to you next year. What do you think that final is going to look like? 36 to 10. <sighs> Again. And Jacob, take us home. What do you think this final is going to be on a wild card round Sunday night game? A not very feasible score, not a common one, but also way too close to Sean's of 30 to 17. Only one point different than Sean. 30 to 17. I'm struggling with the math on that one. But two field goals. Two field goals. Okay. okay. Three field. Is it two or three? See, two. this is my problem. I'm trying to figure it all out. Three. Three field goals. Three field goals. 21. Three field goals. Yeah. Or Harrison Butker, big day. Four touchdowns, one, one safety. <laughs> I like that. I like that outcome. How does that relate to the work truck? Is, the, is that the work truck trying to put the boat down the ramp and going into the water? Oh, no, <laughs> that's, that's a break. I'm not going down the boat. <laughs> that's the work. That's a stick. That's a stick shift work truck that's broken, and you had to stop on an incline, and now you got to start it up again, <laughs> and it doesn't work. It stalls, and everybody gets hit. 
All right, everyone, that's going to do it for us. We appreciate you spending your, your morning, afternoon, evening, whenever time you're grabbing this podcast with us. Hopefully we will be talking about a Chiefs win and moving on to the divisional round of the playoffs. So everybody, make sure you got your Chiefs jerseys, your Chiefs shirts, your Chiefs, whatever you got on uh, and support the team this week. Until then, y'all stay safe out there and we will talk to you next week. Thank you.